We're back. Double cover, double cover, double cover. Mama, we made it. The network picked us up. Well, we're like established. We, we need the signs that says like clap, cheer, laugh. J-Mac here, D-Mac to the right. Welcome to Double Coverage. Mama, we made What's it. up, everybody? Welcome to Double Coverage with the McCourty Twins. Our podcast, Jason McCourty, Devin McCourty. We want to take you guys inside our lives, inside the NFL, and give you a little bit of our perspective. You guys know it. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast streaming thing you use is. As always, you can follow us on social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at McCordy Twins. You will find us there. Dev, welcome to the show. A lot of seasons at this point. Hey, man, appreciate it. And I'm happy people are going to be watching. Uh, you know how we post stuff to our Facebook, our, our Instagram, all of those good things. Uh, earlier this week, you couldn't see any of that. People kept scrolling, scrolling, refresh, refresh. It wasn't popping up. Instagram was down. Facebook, all of the different apps. I think uh, the WhatsApp, it was so many different things that were down. Uh, but on a serious note, I know a lot of people probably communicate through those different apps. So uh, I know that had to be hectic for people. Uh, but it's all I heard on the radio all week. Um, and I will say here in our culture, everyone just wanted to check people's news feed. So I uh, hope everyone had a good kind of disconnect for a few hours from social media uh, and allowed you to dig in uh, to other people's lives. Uh, but it was it was kind of crazy, man. I, I don't know if you knew. I know you got a lot of kids. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm focused on other things. I'm trying to win some football games out here. Uh, but speaking of football, let's get right into it. The Monday night game, Chargers, Raiders. Um, I didn't get a chance to watch the game Monday nights or TV show nights in my household, me and the wife. But this it was game a weather delay. It was a, it was a yeah, weather I delay. Saw I saw and the indoor. Rumor wasn't happy about that. And an indoor weather delay doesn't really make sense, but I'm not a West Coast guy, so I'm not really going to try to think too hard about it. But this brings up an interesting thing, rivalry game, Raiders, Chargers, division opponents. I've been in the league now 12 years, you 11, going in your 12th, me and my 13th. Do you believe that the NFL has rivalry games? Because we know in college you have the rivalry game. Someone wins a trophy. We were at Rutgers. UConn was our rivalry game. Now UConn's playing games for a dollar a ticket to get into their Vanderbilt game, but that's neither here nor there. Do you believe that they're all rivalry games in the NFL? Um, I don't want to fully say no, no, not really. I mean, listen, in college you go to a school – if you're really good, you play three years. If you're if you're good, you play four. If you're like me and you were really bad and you needed time, you play four and a half or whatever you want to call it. But that's it. Like I played for Rutgers and I get the transfer portal and all of that nowadays. But I played for Rutgers. When I got to New England, I talked trash to Darius Butler because he played for UConn and I played for Rutgers. In the NFL, you play for the Patriots. Then you play for the Jets. Then you might play for the Dolphins. You look at you. You've played in Tennessee. You've played in Cleveland. You played in New England. Now you're playing for the Dolphins. What? Who's your rival? You have too many. You've been on four teams. I, I mean, I just don't believe it. So now, like, is is New England Tom Brady's rival? Oh no, because he's in Tampa. But if he went somewhere else, he'd be a rival. Or is that his? Or is that his favorite team? Like, I, there's no true rivals in the NFL. I don't. I don't see it. So I will say so. I probably would have agreed with you for most of my career until I got to year 10. And I get to New England, and it's 2018, and then we'll even go into 2019. And we go to Buffalo, New York, and we play in the New Era Stadium. And 
I really didn't. I had played in Buffalo before, went against Fitz while he was down there. Uh, obviously, Bills Mafia, great fans, great atmosphere. But when I went as a New England Patriot, it was a totally different atmosphere, as you know. The Especially the 2019 game, we're rolling into the game. A man decides to unzip his pants. I won't go any further, but on our way into the stadium, there was things thrown on the field. The Monday night game, that atmosphere was insane. And I think I realized that there is a rivalry within the division opponents, New England, Buffalo, because it was totally different when I went to Buffalo as a Tennessee Titan. I will say there's definitely rivalries that you just, it it comes naturally with it. Being in New England, New England hates the Jets. The Jets hate New England. No matter how you slice it, that's what it is. Belichick has history with both organizations. So it, those things kind of get pushed on you, I'll say, which is different. Whereas, like you just said, in college, no matter what, I'll always be an alumni, alum from Rutgers. Like, Rutgers is it. You can go get the tattoo and Rutgers ride or die. You can go get the bib for the baby. No doubt about it. And the NFL is different. I remember my first daughter was born. She had the Tennessee Titans bib. By the time the last daughter was born, we were already Cleveland Browns. So it's not the same. But when you roll into those stadiums on Sundays, those rivalries do exist. That, you know some of those that, places you've played. Is that a rivalry or were you all really bad football teams? And when you drove into Buffalo, no one cared. No one cared to see that game. When the Patriots came in town with Tom Brady and with Gronk going back to Buffalo, home state, Julian Edelman, Dante Hightower, Vince Woolforts of the world. You come in with all of those guys. People want to see the game. They don't care about the rivalry. I mean, I'm just saying, like, no matter where we went, like, there's no rivalry between the Patriots and the Packers, but we play at Lambeau. It's going to be a great atmosphere because it's two historic franchises you know that, but like in high school, I remember you know Jay. In high school, we, we played St. Joe's Regional, St. Joe's Montville. Here we go, the Green Knights. We're getting ready to play Bergen Catholic. Our high school freshman coach tells us if he sees one of the one of the people from Bergen Catholic on the side of the road and they're on fire, he wouldn't even urinate on them. Like that's a rivalry in the NFL. I play for you. I become a free agent. You you have more money to give me. Welcome. I'm home. I don't care if we just played you last season. Like, no one cares about that. No robberies in the NFL. I don't want to hear it. Very good point with the high school story. When you talk about people on fire, side of the rolls, urine. I, I think when you say that, that's when you know it's time to move on and get off of that topic because I have nothing to top that. Uh, but in the analytics world, Joe Judge this past week said uh, – if, analyst, if Excel was going to win football games, Bill Gates would be killing it. Bill Gates is killing it, but I do agree <laughs> with Joe Judge. There's a place for analytics in football. But at the end of the day, you hire individuals, human beings, to make decisions within football games, with whether it's personnel, all of those things, off their experience, off their knowledge in the moment. And analytics is one variable that you place into the equation to hopefully come out with the correct answer. Exactly. Like I don't want I don't want anybody running a football team that only goes off analytics and doesn't know football. I mean, I like, lived look at, that. I lived. I lived look, that in look 2017, and it didn't go well. We didn't win a game. The pride of Presbyterian Justin Bethel. Um, his his their college head coach. I cannot think of his name, but he also coached Hunter Henry in high school. 
he he's big. He believes on kicking onside kicks out there every touchdown and never punting. Presbyterian gets off to a fast start, 2-0. They're blowing people out. The last two weeks, they've been getting blown out. They don't punt the ball. Hunter Henry told me there was a time it was 4th and 17 or 4th and 20 from their own 20, and they went for it. What happened the very next play, the team scored because they didn't get it. It was 4th and 20. So, I mean, let's... Let's take it easy. I mean, analytics has a part. I think it helps make some decisions. Do we want to go for two points if we're down a certain amount of points? Do we want to go for it in the beginning of the fourth quarter, mid-fourth quarter, wait till the end of the game? You can study all of those analytics, but if we only went by analytics, there would be no reason to play on Sunday because there are some teams that are supposedly so much greater than the other teams, i.e. Saints versus Giants this week, Tennessee versus the Jets. Like, people gave those two teams, the two New York teams, no shot. They both walk away with a dub this weekend. So, uh, give me a break. Shout out Joe Judge getting his first dub. Uh, Pride of Philadelphia. If you don't know, he sounds like a Southerner, but he is from Philly. (laughs) Richard Sherman makes his debut, comes back, plays Sunday night football uh, versus you guys after signing with the Buccaneers on Wednesday. What it takes to sign with a team – Three days of practice, go play in the game. Sherm hasn't played in a game since last season, didn't do training camp, and obviously they walked away uh, with a victory. Uh, obviously he gave up some catches, but man, to be able to do that, to be able to get in just from a mental aspect, you get to the facility on a Wednesday, you're able to pick up the defense well enough to go out there and play every snap of a football game and go out there and compete I saw uh, Bruce Arians said after the game, Sherman played really, really well. And I saw Sherman wasn't happy with his performance. Obviously, an elite player wants to perform at the top of his game every time he steps out there. But, man, that's quite an accomplishment to be able to go out there and play every snap after not playing football for a long time. Yeah, I mean, this guy got runner-up for for the Keeping It Awesome moment of the week sponsored by Dan O'Brien this week. I mean, to, for one, go through what he went through in the offseason – and to get back in playing shape, talked about not being in shape, but now being back in playing shape, training, obviously, to come out there and compete for four quarters. Um, it's a big credit. But, I mean, he's been a professional his whole career. He's always done, obviously, a smart player to come in, learn a system. Uh, so big kudos to, to Richard Sherman holding it down for the older guys still kicking it in this league. Um, but, I, again, I, I think sometimes we don't give enough credit to the players in this league um, of how they're willing on their own to get in shape, be ready to go no matter what uh, the situation is. You sign me on Wednesday, you sign me on Friday, you have me on a practice squad, I get bumped up. I, like guys are ready to go and they want to earn their opportunity to be out there playing more. Uh, so really kudos to, you know, obviously Sherm, but a lot of guys being ready to go uh, week in and week out with not a lot of experience. Um, and not a lot of playing time. Uh, you got to give credit to uh, a lot of players in this league. For sure. And we'll stay right in Foxborough. Obviously, Tom Brady came to town. We all watched that game Sunday night. Great atmosphere. A great game. Two teams really competing uh, their butts off. And like Mama Mac always says, at the end of the day, one team Someone has, to, has win to win and one team one has, has to, to lose. lose. Uh, but in that game, we got to see one of the greatest quarterbacks to play this game go out there and go against his old team, which brought up an interesting debate. We both got a chance to practice against Brady and now play against Brady. Who is the best quarterback that you've had to play against? And I'm going to allow you to say, Tom, because you can give your why to that answer. 
It's definitely Tom Brady. I mean, I think obviously uh, we'll speak about it later in the show, but I mean, all-time passing leader. He has that to him. Reads all the defenses, know what he wants to do. Uh, And then I think the ball placement. Even when you play good defense, he's always going to make some plays in the game that you just sit there and you're like, that's a Brady ball. And I know you're going to say Peyton Manning probably, but I'm just saying. The guy does what it takes at the end of the day to win. And that's why he's so good and it's so hard to play against him. I shot him a text yesterday uh, just telling him how crazy it was to be in practice. So many of the things I do on the football field was from going against him every day in practice and saying, man, like if this can work a little bit against him, I know it's going to work on Sunday. And it was like being back at practice a little bit, doing different things that try to bother him, try to keep him off. Um, so it was a lot of fun playing against him, but by far the hardest quarterback to play against and the best quarterback of all time. You heard it here first. Do we even need your opinion? I'm, yes, we do. And I'm going to go with Peyton Manning. And I think some of it has to do with being uh, in the uh, AFC South, playing for the Tennessee Titans, getting a chance to compete against Peyton. And similar to what you're saying, when we would go against Peyton, the level of intensity that week, I mean, you'd walk in on Wednesday and they would have packets this thick of just Peyton Manning things, his checks at the line of scrimmage. It changed the way we approach our entire defense that week. Usually, as you know, there's a signal caller on the field. I think you wear the helmet for your team. You're getting a call from the defensive coordinator. You're making a call for the defense. When we went against Peyton Manning, there were no calls. Everybody had a wristband. The wristband had numbers on it, usually maybe one through six, six different calls. Defensive coordinators on the sideline with other people, and you're holding up a one, two, three. That's the call. Everybody looks down at the wristband, gets the call. Halftime, change out the wristband because we have to stay in one look of a defense. Always show too high, and we were rolling and rocking around trying to find ways to just get him to hand the ball off just so we can take the ball out of his hands. He made so many checks at the line of scrimmage. Omaha, Omaha, as you saw. So to me, it was definitely Peyton Manning. Obviously, didn't get a chance to win as many Super Bowls as Tom. And I'm not going to – Tom is the greatest quarterback of all time. But me playing against Peyton in that division, man, he was a tough task to try to take down. Uh, obviously, I never beat him. So uh, we're not going to go too far into that. But I'm definitely going with Peyton Manning. But it's equal to you've never beaten Tom, right? No, never beat Tom. Yeah, yeah. So Got but Tom this I, week, though. And I will, I will say – the wristbands was common throughout the NFL because we had the same thing with the wristbands because if you did too much signaling and different things from the sideline, they had a guy on their sideline that was paying attention to your signaling. And I don't think enough people understand the game within the game in the NFL of how well the coaches do from looking down from the box, seeing what players are signaling to each other, seeing all of those things on the field and then radioing that down into the quarterback's helmet and going against guys like Tom, when he knows what you're in, it all begins for him. He's ready to go, lock and load it, knows where the ball's going. Uh, So, I mean, no doubt about it. These are two of the greatest quarterbacks to play. The preparation that they both had coming into the week, every week, um, put a defense on their toes, and you try to out-prepare them every week knowing you probably wouldn't, but you try to find that little edge to win the game. Um, but it was always a tough task. So that's why both of their winning percentages are so high. And, and, and like you said, we played against Peyton while he was in Denver, and uh, Michael Griffin was on my team of safety. And for Denver, Michael Huff was over there. They played college ball together at Texas. 
told Griff after the game, after the first quarter, they knew all of our defensive signals because we were signaling the calls in because he was on the ball every play. So he was getting on the ball, waiting for us to get the signal. They're talking to him out during cover three. And just like that, we played them tough for the first quarter. And after the first quarter, it was good night. I think they put up 40 or 50 points. So uh, I, I lived exactly what you just brought up. That's funny. And uh, moving on, let's give, a, let's give a big shout out. Andy Reid, first coach to have 100 wins with two different teams. For one, that's longevity. And two, that's some good coaching. Yeah, that's finding the right <laughs> players and winning football games at a high level. Won a lot of football games for the Eagles. Goes to Kansas City, does the same thing, captures a Super Bowl with the Chiefs. Uh, so big shout out to Andy Reid, out of the hospital, coaches team, uh, got a win actually in Philadelphia Sunday. Uh, so that's just a, a cool, you know, heading back in Philly, Tom back in New England. Uh, we wish it would have flipped though. We wanted the home teams, but we won't get into that. You know, that's neither here mm -hmm. nor there. No doubt about it. And before we get into our, our group chat segment, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about Urban Meyer uh, down in Ohio, Jacksonville Jaguars go to Cincinnati, Thursday night football game, a thriller between two uh, first, number one overall picks, Burrow and my guy Sunshine down in Jacksonville, uh, Trevor Lawrence, and Jacksonville comes up a little short. So after the game, as you, got, as you know, team flies back to the home city, so Jacksonville flies back to Jacksonville, Urban stays in Ohio, spends some time with the family, finds himself uh, wherever he was, steakhouse, bar, um, probably a few cocktails in, and nothing wrong with unwinding Sunday after a loss, tough season, you know, it's tough. Thursday, Thursday and, night game, Thursday night game, so 10-day break. You, yeah, got, got a break, unwind a little bit. Obviously, there was videos, pictures taken, not painting in the, in, the, in the best of light. If you're a member on the team, or not even a member on the team, we're asking you, what do you think of the situation? How, how do you feel? You can take any perspective you want, member of the team, you're a media person, you're a coach. What are your thoughts on it? I'm not a fan of this. I think, I think we got to think. Dwayne Haskins got killed last year being in the strip club, uh, not responsible. He's a quarterback. He's held to a higher standard. He can't do those things, right? That's all that we saw everywhere. Well, Urban Meyer is a head coach. His team hasn't played well. And somebody might ask, you know, does it matter? What if they were undefeated? It does matter. They weren't. They're not undefeated. So you can't be in that situation and not even getting into the personal matter of is he married, not married, and all those things. I just think when you break down this team and you're trying to run a team, you're trying to win football games, COVID is still real out here. Nobody wants to be in a public place. Obviously, there's no mask on. That's not, you know, that's not in right now. But you're out. There's a bunch of random people. Like this would have been this would have been really crazy if he comes back in Monday and he would have test positive because now we this footage of optics the NFL you know it's all about optics. People would have been going crazy over that. So I do think as a if I was a player or anything, the head coach is held to a higher standard when you talk about these different things. Just like a veteran player, just like a um, a quarterback on a team. We tend to do that. We hold people to higher standards and we can't conveniently hold this person or these players to a higher standard and not in turn do the same thing for coaches. Um, so I, I was not a fan um, seeing that. I'm not saying fire the man and all of that. I'm just saying I was not a fan. I don't think obviously it wasn't a, a good decision, um, but I think like. 
he probably has some real explaining. I know we saw the public, but even to the team, like coming in, now you got to get ready for a game, but we're dealing with it. Like that's a lot going on. That, yeah. That, and I think that's the tough part, the distraction. Because I think at the end of the day, we're on a team. You hear head coach after head coach after head coach tell guys whether you're going away for a bye week, it's the off season, go have fun, get away from football. Just fellas, like we don't need any distractions. And I think that's the same way we, that's how we all approach these things. As, as a coach, coaches should get a chance to unwind, get away from football and whatever you need to do to get away from football. But at the end of the day, if we're causing a distraction, it's always going to be a negative thing. I think the tough thing when you talk about being on a team, when you don't fly back with a team and then you're saw out, there's explaining to do. I remember being uh, in my second year, we go down to Miami, playing against the Miami Dolphins. I'm, uh, in the, I'm on the Tennessee Titans at the time. We had just signed Randy Moss uh, off waivers uh, from Minnesota. That was the year he was with you guys his last year in New England. And uh, we're playing down in Miami. Randy has a house in Miami. We end up losing the game. Randy stays in Miami to gather some stuff and he's going to meet the team back in Tennessee. Makes sense after you just got city to city from New England and Minnesota to Tennessee. But then, you know, sometimes you have victory Mondays in the NFL and you don't have to come in on Monday. And I've heard of different uh, teams or different players staying in whatever city they're playing in because they don't have to go in on Monday. We had to go in on Monday because we lost the game. But we had a group of probably like five or six players who asked Coach Fish if they could stay in Miami, and he allowed them to stay in Miami. That did not go well. Those guys did not make the flight back on time. Guys showed up with robes on, no shirt. They had a phenomenal Sunday night in Miami with a rough Monday morning flight on their way back to Nashville. And that reminded me of that. Guys not getting back on the team plane. And it never ends well. But it'll be interesting to see kind of what comes out of Jacksonville. What are the thoughts of the higher-ups and the whole nine? We'll all be listening intently and reading, scrolling through our social media now is back to see what goes on with it. Did those guys get did those guys get fined? Yes, hefty, hefty, hefty fine. One guy uh missed the plane, so he completely missed all of Monday. Uh wasn't wasn't a, a good look. But for me, that was a lasting memory that I'll always remember of an early uh NFL experience. I remember that was my like I said, my second year. I'm like, I'm not gonna make it on this team. I'm over here trying to do all these things right. I can't be late for this, can't be late for that. I'm like, I should have stayed in Miami with the guys. No, no, you don't want to get that fine. There's nothing good in Miami uh on a Sunday night. Uh, but keeping it in current news, uh, on your team, Jakeem Grant traded to the Bears for a six-round draft pick. Uh, we would ask you what you think and all that stuff, but you just got there. You don't know. You just met Jakeem Grant a couple months ago, so you have no idea what's going on. Uh, but nonetheless, movement in the NFL. Uh, I think it's four weeks till the trade deadline or something like that, so it'll be interesting to see the Deshaun Watson Look out, the radar is still on of what team decides to pull the plug in and make that decision made. Um, but we're going to start to see some movement in NFL. Four games played, teams are deciding what they need to get over the hump or to stay where they're at. Injuries, all different things are happening. So uh, the first of probably many trades that we'll see uh, in the next coming weeks. For sure. And speaking of movement, the uh, Baltimore Ravens continue to move the ball on the ground. 
uh, Vic Fangio, Denver's head coach, was not happy that the Ravens decided to run the ball on the last play of the game when they had a short victory to ensure that they kept their rushing record going of gaining over 100 yards. He was pretty fired up. John Harbaugh took full credit, said it was his call. He wanted the record. And there's two opinions on this. Uh, talked about it in group chat earlier uh, yesterday. And guys said, hey, you don't want him to do it? Stop the run. I don't know. In the NFL, you won the game just like you see guys take knees on the five-yard line when they could be trying to score, whatever the case may be. Is there an unwritten rule of respect when it comes to the NFL when the game's in hand? Like, are you do you want your team to go for the rushing record if it's, if it's right there? Yeah, I would say there's an unwritten rule in all of kind of competitive sports against one another. When it's over, it's over. Um, but that only that decision is only made by the victor. If you're up and you're going to win the game and you want to run and get the record, that's your decision. Now, when they play again, I don't know when it'll happen. Maybe it happens next year. Like I don't know the way the schedule's made up. I don't know if the NFC, if the AFC North and West will play again um, next year. Uh, I'm not sure if this was just a matchup of where they finished in their division last year. But however it shakes out, that's when you take this stuff out. That's when you get mad, the frustration. Um, but I am a fan of whatever they do. If you don't like it, stop it and take it away. Because if they want to keep doing it, yeah, what you gonna do? What you gonna do? Complain hey, after go, it? Go get the Russian record, man. Stay in them record books. I'm not mad at you, Harbaugh. Go get that record. They've been running the ball since Lamar got there, and they're gonna keep running the ball. Forget about all that. Joey Balsa talking spicy about Derek Carr. We knew once we hit him a few times, he really gets shook. Rivalry games, rivalry games. We're back to it. That is going to make the next game later on in the season for this these division opponents. It's really going to be crazy. Not, not now, a rivalry game. Not a rivalry game. A division opponent. You said it. Division opponent, not rivalry. Go ahead. Do you now, the one thing Bosa's comments they sound like, "Oh man, he's talking crazy." But is there a quarterback out there that if you hit them enough <laughs> that they don't get rattled? That like like when you talk about defense in the NFL, if you can make the quarterback uncomfortable, get him off the spot by hitting him, it goes a long way in winning the game. But when it's said about a rival opponent, it's definitely going to hit a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, when you say that, you just better be ready to go the next time you play. I mean, earlier this season, um, uh, Patrick Mahomes got asked in the offseason what he thought of Herbert. He said he has to see it to believe it. They played. Herbert played great. He said, I believe. So the next time the Chargers and the Raiders play, the Chargers better be ready to come play like they did uh, the other night because I'm sure Derek Carr read that. He's being asked about it. That's how he's starting off his Monday. If he had to do media on Monday, that's how he started off his Monday. He had to listen to them ask him about Joey Bosa's comments. Joey Bosa, sack master, rushing that edge, making plays. I like it. Talk spicy if you want to talk spicy. But Carr, I think he'll be ready to go the next time they play. It'll be a great game. It'll be that one that was in SoFi. Yeah, it'll be out in Las Vegas. I know the fans will be ready. That'll be heated. Uh, the way both those teams are playing, they'll be playing for something probably. Um, but you got to like this kind of stuff in the NFL. I mean, you like when some chatter, some talking. Uh, Carr now knows what they were saying in their meeting Saturday night. Uh, or I should say Sunday night, you know, going into the game uh, about what they thought and what they needed to do. He now knows going into the next game. Yep, intensifies in a rivalry game. Uh, 
talking about speaking spicy and the things you say. Joel Embiid says Ben Simmons not showing up to training camp is borderline disrespectful to the rest of the team. I heard Ben Simmons said that he feels like the team is being built around Joel Embiid, and B does not agree. Went through detail to talk about the shooters that they've added, them getting rid of Jimmy Butler to keep the ball in Ben Simmons' hands. He said this team has been built around Ben Simmons, and he said they're a better team with Ben out there. Ben Simmons showing up? No way. I mean, listen, we got two guys. They're going at it. Blow it up. Blow it up. Get rid of one of them. Now, obviously, they're not going to play together. We've been hearing these rumors for a while now how they don't like each other. They don't like playing. Who knows what's actually true? But when you keep hearing the constant rumors over and over and over again, and then you're not getting the, the results and the expectations, you don't feel like you're living up to that, you got to make a move. And um, they got to make a decision. Feel, if it's me, do you... Do you feel that Joel Embiid is wrong to kind of call Ben Simmons out? Because isn't there like an unwritten rule for us as teammates? Like if me and you are on the same team and you decide not to show up to training camp because there's some things you're trying to figure out, whether it's contract-wise, whether it's trade-wise, whatever the, the case may be, is that kind of between you and the team? And as a teammate, hey, I allow you. Hey, he got to take care of his family, his personal things. When he shows up, we're welcome. Is it, is it wrong for Embiid to call him out? Or is it a sense of like, yo, we're the superstars. This is our team. We're supposed to be in this together. I need you here. How do you feel about that? Uh, I do feel that there should be some type of personal behind the scenes contact. Like, don't just shoot at me in the media. Like, text me, call me, let's rap, let's talk. If it don't work out, then Embiid, I think, is sitting here like, hey, listen, I'm the guy on the team. They pay me a lot of money to help this team win games. And in order to do that, I want my team here. Whatever that team's going to be, if you're under contract, I want you here. And I think that's the approach Embiid is taking. He's saying it's on me. I want to get this team going. This is my stance. Um, but I do agree with you. I, I, don't like the, I don't like that it's in the public. I hope that they try to handle this as men separate, separately from the public. I think once you do this back and forth, you know what I mean? I say this to this source that gets to quote me, then you tell your source that gets to quote you. You get other people in it, and it makes it a mess. Um, but that's why I said blow it up. This thing is, I mean, Ellen Brand, he's going to figure it out, blow this whole thing up. Uh, let's figure out why, figure out what's next. Let's get Jimmy Buckets back. Maybe he wants to leave South Beach. Highly doubt it, though. Highly, highly, highly <laughs> doubt it. Chris Paul purchases 500 tickets to the Mercury and Aces game. Uh, a tremendous gesture by him. Uh, I think just the way the NBA and the WNBA, uh, the way they support one another and just do certain things like that. 500 tickets, first come, first serve basis for people to go catch uh, a WNBA game where the players are so talented but don't always get uh, the recognition or the pay uh, that they deserve as we've seen over the last year. So I think it's a great gesture uh, by Chris Paul who continues to just show uh, what an a, a asset he is to the sports world. Uh, I think that's uh, amazing that uh, 500 people got to go to that game for free on Chris Paul. Yeah, I thought it was great, too. I mean, and this is right on the kind of the back of the game being moved because Disney on ice was in an arena for one of the WNBA playoff games. We actually talked about it in our locker room. I had to get Judon right. A lot of these guys don't even know how talented these women are. You know, watching Kelsey Plum and, and, and watching all these girls, Asia Wilson, um, and obviously Diana Tarazi still going at it uh, for the Mercury and Skylar Diggins-Smith. 
So all of these great players, and I think it brings a, a attention to their game. Um, they actually, that it's a very competitive playoffs uh, this year in the WNBA. So I think that was great. And like you said, Chris Paul continues to do this stuff. Um, so, and it's great. I think he also fights for social justice um, that we've seen. And uh, I don't know if you got to see, but, you know, second time the George Floyd statue has been va vandalized in New York City, broad daylight. Um, I think it, it, it brings us back to the point of, are things still going on with social justice? Are, are people still, you know, is the fight still going on? Like, what is your opinion? You know, I think it is, um, but it, it's different, you know, but what do, what do you think uh, with that? The fight is definitely still going on. I think there's a lot of people that are still uh, boots on the ground, getting things done, fighting for equality and doing the things necessary in whatever field uh, that they're chipping away. And I do think the reality of it is, though, uh, as we went through that pandemic, there were uh, so many people at home. And while everybody was sitting at home, like we, we've talked about on here so many times and were able to uh, had to witness uh, the brutal death uh, of George Floyd, people were irate and people were willing to go out there and speak there, speak with it, how they felt and let their voices be heard. And I think now as the pandemic has slowed down in certain places, People are back living their normal lives. And we know as a society, as people get back into their flow of things, they don't have enough time to really care about what somebody else is going through. And it's very sad to see people vandalize George Floyd statues. We, we all watched that and we all saw what that was. There's no way you walk away from that and see a man murdered in that form, in that fashion and you not feel like something needs to be done or just feel like it was plain wrong, even if you don't have it in you to go try to create change or go talk about it or whatever the case may be, you have to watch that and feel like it's wrong. So to see somebody vandalize, it's just very, very sad uh, just to see. And it just goes to show you that there's still so much work to be done in this great country that we live in, but we all have to be willing to accept that and try to get the work done. You, it's almost like you sound like a broken record. We just keep saying the same thing over and over again. Yeah, and I will say time makes other people kind of walk away. And I don't think these things get as much media attention as they once were did. Um, you know, everything's about what is going to get the most clicks, what's going to get the most views. And I would say right now, you know, the companies that are in charge, the media companies and all those things, they don't see this as click. It's not going to get views. So we're not seeing as much coverage on social justice. But I would say throughout sports, you're still seeing players. You're still seeing coaches. You're seeing people be advocates for different things and being on the ground and actually helping people, um, not just, you know, raising awareness, doing PSAs, doing sit down talks. They're out there doing things for education, digital divide, uh, homelessness. Uh, so many different things, mental health issues, so many different things. I, I think you see people fighting to help. Um, and I think that's where it's, it's at. And that's what you that's where you want it to be. You want to see things being done and it is being done. But I don't think it's getting the same coverage as it once was uh, in, the, I would say, previous year and a half uh, kind of thing, like you uh, said during the pandemic. How, how obligated do you feel personally to keep the conversation going? I don't feel obligated. It's just something I, I enjoy doing. It's something I, I think um, is a passion of mine. I think it's a, a part of my purpose uh, of being here on this on this earth. And uh, I think for a lot of guys, and, and I would say a lot of men and women, like you find your different passions and things you believe in, things you're passionate about, and you should just go after them wherever that kind of takes you. Um, and for me, it's 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 taken me in a lot of places where it just comes down to helping other people. 
Um, and that's just how I look at it. Like I'm just helping people um, as much as I can. And uh, I enjoy doing that. And that's something I'll do for the rest of my life. No matter if I'm playing in the NFL, not playing in the NFL, I'm always going to try to be uh, a helping hand to someone else. Man, very well said. Not an obligation, uh, but a calling and a purpose found within it. I think that's, that's well said. Uh, very, very well said. Uh, awesomely put. And as we move on to our Dan O'Brien keeping it awesome moment of the week, it happened right in Foxborough, so I won't steal your thunder. I'll let you talk about it. Yeah, we're talking about 80,560 yards. Tom Brady, our Dan O'Brien keeping it awesome moment of the week. Passage Is this Drew a tough Brees. one for you? Is this a tough one for you? No, he only needed 68 yards. It would have sucked if he needed like 450 yards and he threw for 458 or something. That would have, you know what I mean? But he needed 68 yards. We knew it was going to be hard to hold him under 68 yards. Um, but passing passing Drew Brees, all-time passing leader, passing Drew Brees back in Foxborough where it all started for him uh, had to be a surreal moment going against a lot of the same people that he's kind of, I want to say come up with because he's in year 22. But other than the coaches, a lot of people he shared a lot of time with in the locker room, game planning with, um, being on the same side. So I'm sure surreal. And it's crazy to think um, that I played a long enough career to have played a lot of games uh, to see those yards accumulate uh, with him. And I just think like we spoke about before we jumped on here, it's crazy to think where it all started. He got the all-time passing record right back in Foxborough. Um, I thought it would have been pretty cool if it was with the Patriots. I'm sure it would have been a dope video and all of that, but I, I digress. We, well, that's we what I was telling because obviously you're playing, so you don't get to see it. I'm watching it on TV. There was some confusion with it. He throws the ball, he ties the record, but then they move the ball up a yard. So now he broke the record. So it was almost like hard to get a celebratory video moment because it was like a lot of confusion going on. But um, from the outside looking in, what an atmosphere, just watching that game on TV, the hoopla and everything going on is prime time. It, I just remember, like, I'm watching the game, and I'm just like, for those guys that are in that game, like, those are moments you take in, and those primetime games, big moments like that, uh, you probably said it in your pregame speech. Like, as a kid, you dream to be in the NFL to play in games like this. So it was incredible uh, to watch two teams that competed their butts off. Uh, and congratulations to Tom Brady, who continues to just break record after record after record because he's just playing so long at such <laughs> a high level. <laughs> no no Ooh. doubt about it. Go ahead. Let's, let's get into who won and lost the weekend. I think when we talk about who lost the weekend, it's very, very apparent that our guy down in Jacksonville, Urban Myers, the loser of the weekend, um, he had a long weekend, Thursday, Thursday night game, Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. Uh, he made the most of his weekend but he still walked away with the L. I will, I will say he can have the greatest comeback with a W this weekend, and he can win the weekend next week. All that, I mean, forgotten. It's like being a DB, short memory. Who, who short won memory. the weekend? Uh, Trayvon Diggs uh, had to. I mean, he's the third player since 2000 to get four interceptions in the first four games. Brian Russell the, back I in know two. One, I know one of the other guys, too, who, who did that. You said Brian Russell in 2003. In 2003, yep. And the other guy, Devin McCourty. 
2019, I was there to witness it. But I will say Diggs did one better. He got two the other day, so he has five picks in four games playing at an elite ball hawking level. It's not just tips. It's not just overthrows. He's winning, got some of these. He's got a pick six in there too uh, against Philadelphia. So he is making intercepting the ball look real easy. All, all those one-on-one matchups with his brother this offseason is paying off because he looks like an absolute stud. Uh, I believe this is year two for him. Uh, and it looks like it's coming together uh, tall, long, everything you would want to see in a corner out there. Uh, so it's been fun to just watch him really ball hawk this year. Uh, who knows how much he finishes with, um, but we'll see as the season continues. Yeah, for sure. Well, want to thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Double Coverage with the McCourty Twins. As we started off telling you guys, you can catch us on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, whatever you watch your podcast on. But when you do so, make sure you hit that little subscribe button so you can stay updated with everything we have going on, double coverage. And as always, you can find us... Yeah, that too. You can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at McCourty Twins. Make sure your social media is working. We'll see you next week.